Well, good evening, everyone. We're here for our Wednesday night gathering online. Our study is This is Why We Have the Psalms. We're in week number something, 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 something. I don't know. I walked into the bank this week for the first time in a long time, and the little date marker at the bank said March 23rd, and I only paid attention to the 23rd, and I thought, I think today's like the 26th, and then I thought, that says March, and I think it was somewhere around March 23rd that everything just kind of stopped in a lot of ways, and so here we are in week whatever it is of whatever this is, and uh, hey, church is opening Wait, let me correct that. We're going to gather together in person this Sunday at 9 and 1030. And some of y'all are going to keep going to GenU online. And that's cool. As I've heard another pastor say, it's not a matter of faith. It's a matter of peace. And I like that. So whatever you do, do it in peace. That seems to be the way of Jesus. So hello to all my friends that are joining already. Some of y'all are showing up on Wednesday nights, and you are dog-tired. And you're like, man, I hope this brother's got something to say. I do have something to say tonight, because I'm going to be talking about Psalm 103. And I think I'm going to do that now. So we're going to cover verses 1 through 14. And I would love it if you would hit the share button and get the word out there a little bit to your friends and uh, let them know what's going on. So if you see me looking up and down, I just decided that I'm going to live stream from my personal Facebook page right down here, my little camera, and uh, I'm also going to do it from my computer, the church Facebook page, because why not? There are no rules. Psalm 103, God, thanks for your word tonight. I pray that um, whatever is said tonight, that um, it would be glorifying to you and to Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Psalm 103, the title, Bless the Lord, O My Soul, says David wrote it. And before we do that, we must say hello to Malia Grant, because she's here tonight. Hello. Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always chide. What a great word. Nor will he keep his anger forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As the Father shows compassion to his children, so does the Lord show compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, 
He remembers we are dust. That's a lot going on right there. A whole lot, actually. Let's break it down, shall we? I welcome your comments. I welcome your disagreements. And so I also welcome your prayers, I suppose. So as I count them, there are 22 lines in this psalm. And uh, there happen to be 22 lines in the Hebrew alphabet. And there's a word that keeps coming up in this psalm over and again. It happens a couple times, actually. And it's the word all. So it's kind of like the psalmist is like, I'm just going to say it all. I'm just going to cover a lot of ground. I'm just going to cover the whole deal right here. And he does. And I don't think it's by accident that there are 22 lines in the psalm because this, the psalmists were poets, you know. So they weren't just screwing around, just writing crap. They understood poetry. And so they knew how to write. You know that the opening lines of the book of Genesis are poetry? And I like that. Because when you want to say something beautifully, you want to say something that's true and deep and meaningful and speaks to the core of the human condition, you know what you use? You don't use history. No, no, you use poetry. It's not that it's not true. It's just that it's so true that history would just dull it. <laughs> so what do you do? You do poetry, man. And this is poetry right here. Although it doesn't read like poetry because it's written in Hebrew. So if I were to say to you in English, um, there was a gopher named Chris Topher who ran down the road and got hijacked by a toad. If I were to say that to you in English, you'd be like, what a, what a really dumb poem that rhymes. But if I were to say it to you in Spanish, it would sound really dumb because it's not going to rhyme. I don't think. I just made it up. I didn't check it, but I'll tell you this, that there's a lot that's lost between Hebrew and English because we can't see the poetry as it is because we're worried about getting the words right, which is good. But the psalmist is trying to convey deep truths through poetry, which I think is awesome. It's awesome. So I see a lot of people that are joining us, some people I've never seen before. So we're just doing a little study called This Is Why We Have the Psalms, because times are crazy and the psalms speak to crazy. Um, right, so where was I? So I was just talking about poetry, um, conveying deep truth. And this is what the psalm is setting out to do. 22 lines in all, because why? Because he's covering A to Z. Well, I guess Alpha and Omega. He's covering, well, that's Greek. That doesn't work. So he's covering the whole thing is what he's trying to say. I'm getting all of it, man. That's what he's saying. I think it's cool. Sometimes the text doesn't tell us what it wants to say. Sometimes it shows us. And it's showing us with 22 lines. It's going to cover a lot of ground. All right, so uh, let's just start at the beginning. How about verse 1? Uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Love it that my friends are joining. What's up, you guys? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. So I thought that was cool because the psalmist David, you know, the giant killer, he's saying, uh, the giant killer who's also a poet, that's kind of fun, right? So he's saying uh, to his soul, bless the Lord, O my soul. And some people think that maybe that David had just recovered from a real illness or something like that. But whatever it is, he's talking to his soul. Because sometimes you got to talk to all that is within you, and you just got to say, listen, you, you're going you're gonna to have to bless the Lord, because I know you don't feel like blessing the Lord, 
I know you feel like just sitting on the couch and drinking a lot and eating some chocolate and watching some Netflix. But instead, what you're going to have to do right now is you're going to have to bless the Lord. So you're going to have to get after it. And sometimes when the words come out of your mouth, then your mindset will follow. So um, just throwing that out there, that we can actually provide spiritual direction for our own soul. We've talked about this before, right? Sometimes you just have to say to your soul, soul, listen, I know that you're not feeling good today. You're Just bless the Lord for a minute. Just start talking about all the good things. Just start calling out about all the things you're grateful for for a minute. If this sounds like religious garbage, just hear the, hear the words behind the words. What I'm trying to say is sometimes when you're just having one of those days, you just got to be thankful and grateful and think about something other than yourself. Think about something higher than yourself. Think about a, a higher power. Think about... The, the thing behind the thing. Think about the thing that you can't get behind the beginning, right? So God is the one who was in the beginning before God made anything. Sometimes you just got to talk to that and go, God, I bless your name. I bless your name. So um, there's power in taking direction or giving direction to your soul. You can direct your mindset. You can direct your intentions. You can direct your focus. Talked to you about this dude before. His name is Victor Frankl, F-R-A-N-K-L. He wrote a great book you should read this summer. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. He was a prisoner in a um, concentration camp. They did all kinds of crazy crap to this guy. It's just absurd. And he said there's a space between stimulus and response, and that's where you get to decide your mindset, your perspective. There's a space between what happens and what you do. And that's where you get to determine your perspective. And that gave him great agency. And what I mean by agency is the ability to pick his own path to a certain degree. Because he couldn't necessarily get up off of the operating table and just doing all kinds of crazy experiments to himself. But he could choose his own perspective. He said, they can do all kinds of stuff to me, but the one thing they can't take from me, the one thing they can't change is my perspective. So there's a space between stimulus and response, and that's your perspective. And you pick your perspective. So what David's tapping into is this ancient wisdom to where he says, you know what? The only thing I can control sometimes is my own soul. So soul, you're going to have to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that's within me. All right, verses 2 through 3. Forget not all his benefits. Well, what are the benefits of God? What are the benefits of being a child of God? Well, uh, there are a couple things. Psalmist lists them here. Who forgives all your iniquity. Anybody screw up today? Uh, let's see, who heals all your diseases. Now, I know we have at least one doctor watching tonight, and I know that that one doctor has probably had at least a patient or two over the years who has passed away. You probably do a lot of patients right now who are sick. And what I would say is uh, God doesn't always heal so that people live. And from our perspective, the Hebrew word for that is, that sucks. So, I think what I'm trying to say there is, uh, when we say God forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases, what do you do when God doesn't heal? Well, you could say, okay, God heals because God takes them into eternity. Okay, I get that. But let's just be real for just a second uh, and not sound like stupid people. That's true, and it's also true that sometimes you have to put people in the dirt. And that hurts. And that's hard. And we need to say that. That sometimes God doesn't heal physically. Let's not be... That, that's, that's just absurd to say that if a person had more faith or if 
you have more faith if there didn't have so much sin. It already says he forgives all your iniquities, so sin isn't the cause of that. So what's the what's the cause of that? I mean, some things we do just lead to death because we do stupid stuff. But at the end of the day, I mean, I have a, I have a very dear friend. She was much more of a Christian than what I'll ever be. She passed away in her 20s. How do you explain that? No, you don't explain that. What you do is you grieve and you weep because you know what happens on the other side of that. You don't lose hope because what it says, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, but then it's like, who redeems your life from the pit. So the psalmist is like, listen, I get it. He's not trying to be scientific here. God forgives your sins. That's good news. God heals your your diseases. That's good news. And yet at the same time, you're all going to die. But we know that that's not the end because God has the final word even in death. And it says, uh, redeems your life from the pit. Redeems your life from the pit. Even if it ends in death, it's not the end. The Christian hope is bodily resurrection. I know it sounds absurd. That's what you believe if you're a Christian. Or maybe you believe in like metaphorical resurrection. Whatever. Jesus has scars in his hands, okay? <laughs> I don't even know where to start with that. If you don't, I won't even talk about it. It'll just get us off. The Christian hope is that in the end, Jesus will raise your body from the grave. I get it. It's in the Bible. Sorry. I know I sound goofy. Anyhow, verse number four. Let's do that. Who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. I like that. I like that a lot. Because the things that are weighing down upon my brain do not always feel like steadfast love and mercy. But God crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. God's, God's putting on your head. God's like, man, I love you so much. I love you so much. I got you. Crown you with steadfast love. Love that won't quit. Love that doesn't give up. Love that never fails. And I've got more mercy and you know what to do with. i got more mercy and you know what to do with. You think that you're so screwed up and God has so much mercy for you. So much mercy for you. See, sometimes we focus on how screwed up we are that we don't pick the right path. Because we're like, I just screwed up, I just screwed up. Well, maybe you could change that if you realize how much God loved you. I was reading the book this week. It's called Something Here and Now by my man Henri Now and the Dutch Catholic priest who's now dead. Because I basically read dead people. Um... Henri Nouwen said something like, most of the time we live our lives in the oughts and the ifs. The oughts are about the past. The ifs are about the future. The oughts are about guilt. The ifs are about fear. And yet we need to live in the now because God is not a God of the past or the future. God is a God of the present. God's name is I am. Not I was. God's name is I am. I am that I am. I'll be who I will be. I am. It is what it is. I like that. I just made that up. I am who I am. So we live in the oughts and the ifs, and God just wants us to live in the now and receive the love. So, all right, let's keep going, shall we? Uh, let's see. Oh, verse 5. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Do you know old people who are just awesome? The people who are really spiritually mature are not the people who get pissed off if you sit in their pew. 
And they don't get pissed off if you say pissed off. Sorry. The people who are spiritually mature, they smile a lot. They laugh a lot. Even if they're old. There's this really old woman in our church. She's like a hundred or something. And you know what? She smiles all the time. I talk to her. She makes me feel better about myself. She's just, she's just light. It's like her in, in her inner life, she's a contortionist. Like she can move all around. She's like Gumby on the inside. Some old people there are like, I'm not talking about those old people. I'm talking about, I'm talking about people who they're just childlike. It's like they're flexible. It's like things don't agitate them anymore. It's like it's like they've seen so much that like you're not gonna get me upset. You know, about studies show, which studies? I always hate when people say studies show. Studies show which studies? All right, if we're gonna talk data, let's talk data. Well, there was a study that came out of Willow Creek. It's called the Reveal Study. It's an actual study. A lot of Christian studies aren't. They call 50 people on the phone, ask them their opinion, and then they cite it as data. That ain't data. That's anecdotes. This was scientific study in partnership with a dude who does affective purchase reasoning for Nike. Okay? So they surveyed hundreds and thousands of churches around the globe. Global South, Global North, the whole thing. What they found is about 8% of all Christians are ticked off with their church. And they tend to be the most spiritually mature people. Why are they ticked off? because they've stopped growing. They think that the church is all about them. They're still consumers and they need to be givers. They're what I call cave dwellers. They're certainly against virtually everything. Why? Because they expect Sunday morning service to do for them what it used to do for them 20, 30, 40 years ago. Sunday morning service isn't about you getting anything out of it. It's about you giving something to God and other people. At some point you gotta grow beyond yourself, right? So one day I'm gonna be 80 years old, not like the music in the church either. And not that all 80-year-olds don't like the music in the church. Some 80-year-olds in our church, they're just like, I love this, right? But I'm not going to like the music in the church one day. I'm going to be like, what is this stuff? These kids don't make any sense. Well, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about me. So the more mature you get, the more open you ought to be. The more mature you get, the more comfortable with mystery you ought to be. The more mature you get, the more uncertain you ought to be. Hmm. You see, some people, they're so certain about everything. They've got God all figured out. The moment you've got a God all figured out is the moment that I'm like, we're not talking about God. You're talking about your beliefs. You can make a religion out of your beliefs. But anytime you're talking about God, you got to just do a little bit of a check and go, I'm not sure I've got it all right. Where are we? Oh, the more mature you get, the more flexible you are, the more childlike you are. You know who comes to mind when I think about this? And this isn't a matter of age. I, I, when I think about mature Christians, I think about my friends Ed and Nan Cox. Ed and Nan. Watch this. Stand by. I walked out in the parking lot one day right before the whole COVID thing happened, and Ed's like, Tommy, I've got something for you. And he handed me this. And I'm like, is Ed giving me like some weird kind of a rifle? No. Ed found out that I had a really old fly rod. So you know what he did? He hooked me up with a fly rod. And he smiled. He's like, hey, man. You know what? He told me before that. He's like, why don't you come over to my house? And I'll make you some pizza. And we'll just sit and we'll talk. 
We were going to the front yard and let's practice throwing a fly rod. And I brought my old fly rod. Hang on. I brought this thing right here. And he's like, that's really cool, man. And he didn't even say, hey, I'm going to get you new. And you know what he did? He just walked up one day in the church parking lot. I said, hey, come outside. And he handed me a fly rod. He just smiled. When I think about Nan, I think Nan just always, she laughs at everything. Why does she laugh at everything? Because she's in on the joke. And <laughs> what's the joke? It's that the kingdom of God is a party. Oh, <laughs> oh you guys. Jesus is always telling inside jokes. That's what his parables are. His parables are inside jokes for those with ears to hear. It's like, oh, if you're in on the joke, you'll get it. You'll just walk a little lighter. You'll have childlike faith. What? Oh, my gosh. Well, well, if you're still with me, then I might as well go ahead and go the whole way. Verse number six. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. I'm still processing this, so I'm going to ask for forgiveness in advance. I'm just going to say, here's where I am right now. I'm not speaking on behalf of the church. I'm not speaking on behalf of the Assemblies of God. I'm not speaking on behalf of nobody but Tommy in process. And there's a part of me that's like, Tommy, you probably shouldn't even speak. But if I waited two weeks, I would have my thoughts so together that I probably wouldn't say anything that was worth saying at that point in time anyhow. Because when I saw what I saw happen to George Floyd in Minneapolis with a knee on his neck with four police officers standing around I don't know all the details all I know is that is not a move that the chief of police condones that the mayor of Minneapolis has condemned it there be more there may be more video footage that comes out that reveals a lot of stuff whatever I'm a I'm all about due process all I'm telling you is that based on what I saw in that moment is you have a man who's unconscious, who's before that saying, I can't breathe. And if it is as it appears, if it is as it appears, then I'm just going to tell you what verse number six says. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And I put something on Facebook on my personal page. I'm not talking about the church. I'm just saying, may God bring justice. May God bring justice. Because if it is what it looks like, may God bring justice. The Lord will deal with those who have authority and responsibility to bring about justice and misuse that power. Now, somebody said to me, they called me, they said, your Facebook post seemed a little bit angry. And I said it was. It was angry. Because that angers me. That angers me. It angers me. It angers my friends. You see, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it's like to be a black man in America. But I have friends who do. And I, I can say that that a lot of them are hurting right now. And I'm not being political. I'm I'm grieving with my brothers and with my sisters in Christ, white and black and brown and all across the spectrum. But if it is what it appears to have been, and I, I'm not I'm all-knowing, I'll just say this, that may God bring justice. And somebody on Facebook, they, they called me, and I loved it. This is a friend of mine. They called me, and they said, hey, uh, aren't we supposed to pray for mercy and forgiveness and all of those things? I said, 
Absolutely, we're supposed to pray for mercy and for forgiveness and all of those things. As Christians, we're supposed to pray for mercy and forgiveness and all those things. And at the same time, we are supposed to be on the side of the oppressed and the fatherless and the poor and the widowed and those who do not receive justice. We are, we are supposed to say, that's not right. Because if we don't, then we are not speaking with the voice of the prophets and Jesus being one of them. And there's a long line, including Amos before him. And so what happened there, what happened there, it grieves my heart. It grieves my heart. And someone will say, well, you know, aren't we supposed to bring justice? Why are you praying for God to bring justice? Because there is no authority except that which is established by God. We are the mechanism through which justice happens. If somebody is sick, I can pray for God to heal them through the hands of the physician. Because the physician has been trained and entrusted with the knowledge and the authority to bring about healing. The same thing when it comes to governance and authority and justice. It's the reason that... That, that was it Peter who said, I, I would not that many of you be teachers because you'll be held to a higher standard. Why? Because you know better, you do better. I have relatives who are police officers. They're ethical. <laughs> they, never, they, they have nothing on their record so far as I know. I know that there are pastors who have done wrong. I know there are pastors who have done right. And I'm, I am, I'm prayerful. I am supportive. I believe in our law enforcement officers. But it's worth saying the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And then it mentions Moses. Why? Because that's a callback to when people were enslaved, to where people were brutalized, where people were harmed. And as Christians, we are to pray. And we're also to work for justice. Because that's the way of Jesus. And we're to find ways to use our voice in healthy ways in order to say, mm, that's not right. And we're, and, we're, and we're to be people of prayer and people of voice. And so just to say that, and I'm sure that in two weeks, you know, maybe I would say something different, but here's where I am tonight. I'm sure I haven't said it right. I'm sure somebody's going to be upset. I'm sure I didn't say enough and everything else. I just want, I want you to know I read verse 6 and that God stands on the side of those who are oppressed and God will bring justice. And may God have mercy for all involved. And at the same time, may God bring justice. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. So I'm a believer in due process. I'm also a believer in justice. Verse number 10, I'm going to skip down. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Now here's the other side of that. (laughs) But we're talking in a spiritual sense. God doesn't repay us according to our sins, nor or deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's that's God, okay? That's God. God forgives, and yet there are consequences. If I walk up and punch somebody in the face, I can say, God, forgive me, and I can go to jail. And will I pray, God, just give me a, a light sentence? Sure, I mean, maybe. And yet, and yet, God forgives. God's wrath is limited. God's overflowing mercy on the soul is limitless. God's wrath, God, if, if God's wrath was poured out, we'd all be gone. And yet God's unlimited, unmerited favor still flows to us. And yet there are still consequences. God forgives, and yet justice is served. So verses 11 through 14, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love for those who fear him. <laughs> you, you can't get above that. 
however high you go. You can't reach the height of God's love. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, you... God takes your sins. God forgives you of your sins. Some of you have committed heinous crimes. Some of you have done things that if other people know. Some I've done things if other people knew about it. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? And God forgives. That's a beautiful, God forgives. God forgives the worst sinner. God forgives the worst murderer. God forgives child molesters. Are there consequences? Is there justice to be served? A hundred percent. Otherwise, how could God be a just God? And how could we say that we've been given the authority from God to enact justice? God forgives. Still God forgives. As a father shows compassion to his children, show the Lord shows, shows compassion to those who fear him. I love that. I have so much compassion for my children. God forbid they would ever do anything that would just absolutely just just grieve me to the point of utter despair. But there's nothing they could do. There's nothing they could do that would ever change my heart for them. I would still look in the eyes of my son and my daughter and see the one that I love. And I would know who they are. You know, we don't know why people do what they do, and it doesn't make any excuse. And yet, up underneath all that is still a child of God. So we have to have love, we have to have mercy, we have to have forgiveness. And yet at the same point in time, sometimes the path to restoration is a hard one. Where we have to pay the tab for what we've done. For he knows our frame, he remembers we are dust. <laughs> you think about that for a minute. God, you, you, you know, we've got, we have so many ways to make ourselves look beautiful. And at the end of the day, it all goes back in the box. It's all worm bait. That's just, it's a sobering thing to think about. It all goes back in the box. And God remembers the whole time. These people are just made of dust. I love them. No matter what they've done. These people are just made of dust. So we've covered a lot of ground tonight. So much ground. And I'll just ask your forgiveness in advance. I probably have said some things that, you know, maybe a week from now I'll, I, I will have thought about, man, Tommy, you said that with too much edge, or you said you, you didn't have that part right. If I waited till I had it all together, I'd never be authentic with you, and you wouldn't believe me. So sometimes you just have to speak from the hip of the heart. And I just want to say I'm grateful. And I hope you're grateful for the mercy and the love, the compassion of God. And I hope that you'll pray against the injustice that is prevalent in our land. And I hope that you'll use your voice where you can and your actions where you can and learn from people who know more than you do and hear the voice of those who experience things differently than you do and be able to say, maybe I have some room to grow Maybe I need to sit and learn. Maybe I need to listen. So may God have mercy upon us all. May God heal our land. May God forgive our sins and separate them as far as the east is from the west and lead us on the way of Jesus. So 
that one day we'll look him in the eyes in spite of all we've done. And he'll be able to say to us, I love you so much. I want to make you whole. And may that start even now. And may we give that same treatment one to another. Well, friends are still jumping on. I'll say hello to my friend Nick and Marsha and Kim. Liz Scott. Oh, my friend Liz Scott from the Cosby Show. Sorry, Liz. I know. Sorry. Uh, let's see. Dan and there's Anne talking about so much. Christy Mann and Ginger. Shane and Emily and Vanessa and Stephanie and Christine and Sandy and Kayla and Joyce and Sharon. And then over here, I'm sure we have some comments. Oh, Jimmy, hey man. And Kim, Elsie and Kayla and Sheila. And uh, let's see, where are we going? What are we talking about? Jody, man. Yeah, here we are. Brandon says, I'm tired, I'm grieving, I'm admittedly still processing it as well. I refuse to stop speaking out for my image-bearing brothers and sisters to the day I die. Thanks for saying something and not waiting. Tawanda says, Amen. Brandy says, God forgives us, so who are we to not forgive ourselves? And are we saying we know better than God? Hard to do, but worth the doing. So when I say may God bring justice, I don't mean that I'm talking locusts and plagues. I guess what I'm saying is, may God use us to be people, agents of justice and reconciliation and compassion in the truest sense of what that means. In Jesus' name, amen.